Hello, it's Jeremy Myers, and this is the Redeeming God Podcast. We're working our way through the book of Ephesians, and we're in Ephesians chapter 4 now. This is our second study of Ephesians chapter 4. Quick summary, in Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul explained that God has given us great spiritual riches. Okay, and one of the reasons for that, one of the primary reasons, is so that we can lead the world into peace, which we all want, especially with what's going on right now between Russia and Ukraine. So in the first part of Ephesians 4, which we're studying now, Paul tells us Christians that the first way we can show the world how to live in peace is, guess what? Living in peace with one another. How are we doing with that, Christians? <laughs> okay, so in our last study, in Ephesians um, 4, 1 through 3, we learned that the first way to create peace among Christians is by developing certain attitudes in our own heart first. Right? Generally, when we try to create peace, we point the fingers at other Christians, say the problem is theirs, and Paul says, no, let's, let's uh, look to our own heart first. As Jesus says, take the plank out of our own eye first. Okay, So today we're picking back up with that study. We're going to see that as, as we seek to learn to live in peace with other Christians, we should focus on seven key truths that all Christians have in common. And when we focus on those things that unite us rather than divide us, we will begin to create peace in our midst and therefore also in this world. That's where we're headed today, so stay tuned. Okay, let's just dive right into it after that brief intro. We're trying to create peace in this world. That's why Jesus came, peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with ourselves in our own hearts. And so here in the application section of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is beginning with this very practical concept of creating peace in our own midst, among our own churches. If we in the family of God cannot live in peace with one another, we have no right to tell the world how to live in peace with one another either, right? Okay, and so that's where we're headed today. Now, we're looking at Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and in this section, Paul lists seven different elements or truths that we need to focus on as Christians that will help us live in peace with one another. And these seven elements form a chiasm. If you don't really know what that is, it's sort of a form of an outline where the first item is parallel to the last or seventh item in this case, the second item is parallel to the sixth, and so on, until you get to the center. And in a chiasm, the center point is the most important point. Everything points to it, builds its way up to it, focuses on it, and then sort of works its way back out. So as you look at these uh, seven elements, especially as I will explain them here in a minute, the central item is the fourth item, and it is referring to we have one Lord, which, of course, is Jesus Christ. Okay, so the, as we work our way, and basically everything is leading up to Jesus, focusing on Jesus, follow from Jesus, and that's Paul's point here. And that's really the central point. That's the central way to focus on 
peace, developing peace as Christians in the church is to focus on Jesus, our head, our Lord and Savior. As we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, all the other elements in these uh, this list of elements of Christian unity will become easier to focus on, okay? So let's just uh, begin to look at them. We're going to start right off with that first one in Ephesians 4.4, where Paul says there is one body. Okay, Paul is referring to the body of believers here, one body of Christ. And it's really uh, interesting here to think about, you know, a lot of times we talk about the body of Christ, we think about the people who make up the church. And that is true, but what Paul wants us to do here is think of the body of Christ, the church, as if it was our own body, okay? Uh, You do not go around, hopefully, uh, cutting off your fingers and stabbing yourself in the eye and, and... jamming your foot indoors and things like that, harming your body because you want to take care of your body. You do not want to cause pain to your own body. And that's the same exact concept here that Paul wants to begin talking about, okay? The body of Christ literally is our body. And so if we are going to go around hurting, damaging, stabbing in the back other members of the body of Christ, we are hurting our own body. Paul talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians 12 and elsewhere. Okay, and just how there's different members of the body and each one serves to help all the other parts of the body. Okay, that's the imagery here. And so as we seek to develop Christian unity and Christian peace, this is one of the central concepts to remember. Okay, when we fight amongst ourselves, we are jabbing, stabbing ourselves in the eye. Okay, hitting ourselves in the face. Uh cutting off our own finger, okay? And and it's causing pain to ourselves, okay? So uh, that's the first thing to to focus on here. And and, um, remember that if we want to create Christian unity, Christian peace, uh, don't hurt yourself, okay? Don't stab yourself in the eye. A lot of this has to do with spiritual gifts uh, to some degree. That's how the body functions as a unit. We're going to get into great detail on that in a future study down there in Ephesians 4.11, so I won't spoil it by saying any more here. By the way, if you're part of my online discipleship group and you want to go see what I think about spiritual gifts, uh, I have an entire course uh, inside my discipleship group to help you discover your spiritual gifts, to understand what they are, and also learn to practice and develop and use them. Okay, so that's... uh, That's there. There's even a quiz you can take to help you discover your spiritual gifts. Although, as I say in the course, those spiritual gift inventory quizzes are not the best way to help you discover your gifts. Let's move on then to the second element that will help us create Christian unity, which is one spirit, also in verse 4. This is the Holy Spirit, obviously, which indwells each of us. And obviously, the Holy Spirit is a concept which creates a topic that creates a lot of disunity in the church. And that's really sad because here it's second on Paul's list. It's supposed to bring us unity and peace. And some of the trouble, I believe, just comes primarily from the concept, the idea, the the, the teaching in some circles that some Christians have the Spirit and other people don't. I would encourage all of us to recognize Paul's statement here from Ephesians 4.4, that all believers have the Spirit, okay? Now, maybe the Spirit has different levels of control in different Christians, okay? We can talk about that, but it is not helpful for some group of Christians to say, well, those Christians over there don't have the Spirit. That's very divisive, and it is incorrect. 
Okay? Look, we all have the Spirit. We are all indwelled by the same Spirit. And so um, let's just make sure we get that right off the bat, understanding that. Okay? The Holy Spirit indwells each of us. And of course, since that is the case, the Spirit is teaching us all to live in love and unity with each other. And when when you fail to live in love and unity with each other, that is because we are living in the flesh and rather than living in the Spirit. Okay, lots of teaching here. Paul will be getting into this more in, in future studies of Ephesians, so let's just move on here as well. Third element is one hope. Uh, This helps us develop unity as well. What is our hope? Well, the hope of every Christian is Jesus Christ. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has promised us that simply by believing in him for eternal life, he will bring us to heaven. He will allow us to spend eternity with him. Uh, and, And so this helps us realize that our hope, which is in Jesus, is not sort of the wishful thinking type of hope that many of us think of as hope. Christian hope is a certain hope, a guaranteed hope. It's not like the hope that most of us have. I hope I win the lottery. Well, that's going to be impossible since I never buy a ticket. Um, My favorite NFL team for decades has been the Raiders. So every year, I hope the Raiders win the Super Bowl this year. And of course, every almost every year, I'm disappointed. In fact, uh, in recent years, I have hardly even been able to watch the Raiders. Okay, they're getting better, but whatever. You have a favorite team, favorite sports personality, whatever. You have the same hope for them. Okay, those are hopes which are basically uh, non-certain, uncertain. They will not happen almost certainly. (laughs) Okay, and that's quite different from saying, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. Uh, That is almost near 100% certainty, right? I mean, you just have to think about the factors that would be involved for the sun to not rise in the east tomorrow, which, okay, I know, the earth is rotating around the sun, and okay, I get it, but we all talk about sun rising and so on, okay? Um, The earth would have to stop rotating. The sun would have to um, blink out of existence or go supernova or something, and those both both those situations, we've had, we would have a lot greater problems than and the sun not rising, okay? But again, you see there's levels of, of certainty when it comes to the way we usually think about hope. There's different degrees of certainty. But that's not the case with Christian hope. Since our hope is in Jesus Christ, this is a certain hope. And since God does not lie, since Jesus always keeps his promises, then our Christian hope in Jesus is a certain hope. There's no uncertainty about it, okay? And and Paul mentions this uh, here in the context of our calling, and that's the same calling we talked about extensively back in Ephesians 1.18, and which we've seen uh, elsewhere, uh, about being chosen or called to service, to be heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, to be adopted as children. Okay, all of this is related to our future blessing with Jesus in eternity, Okay, so this is just this third element here. It's a certain hope we all have it in common, and it's focused on Jesus Christ uh, and our inheritance, our eternal life that we have from him and through him. And uh, again, it's something that will unite us when we realize we're all hoping for the same thing. Again, to go back to this concept of a football team or something. Okay, you get all these people in a stadium 
cheering for a certain team. And, you know, you get outside of the stadium, they're going to have a lot of disagreements. Maybe there's political disagreements or, or there's going to be economic differences and all sorts of other things that might divide them. But you get them in the stadium and they all have a hope, a common hope, that their team is going to win that game. And that unites them and helps uh, bring them uh, to cheer for their team in a way that uh, is going to bring peace and unity, at least among the fans of that team. Okay? So uh, that's what Paul is talking about here. We have one hope, and that hope unites us uh, and, and brings us forward to cheer for our team. All right, the central element then of this chiasm is uh, one Lord, which of course is referring to Jesus Christ. He's our master, our Lord. That's what the word Lord means. And uh, so we have the same master. And if we think about it, that also is a unifying element, right? Because the master is not going to give commands to one group of servants that conflict with a different group of servants or that causes them to work against each other or live in disharmony. There's one plan, one goal, one direction that the master is leading us all in, And if we follow our Lord and Master as he commands and directs, then we will all be heading in the same direction. All of these elements of this chiasm are leading up to the fact that we are following Jesus in the same direction, and that should unite us and create peace in our midst as well. The fifth element then, related to, we're working our way back out of the chiasm now. The central element was Jesus, one Lord. Now we're on to one faith. And this is related to the one hope earlier. Uh, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in uh, in heaven. Our hope is that uh, he is absolutely guaranteed the promises he's made to us. One of the things is the promise of eternal life. And how do we see, receive eternal life? By faith in Jesus. He's the one who gives us eternal life when we believe in him for it. Now, why is this unifying? It's unifying because... It's uh, it, faith levels the playing field for all of us. Okay, in many other religions of the world, there often is sort of a hierarchy. Well, I am on closer terms with God because I have greater spirituality. I have greater enlightenment. I am more holy and righteous than you are. So therefore, I God hears my prayers more than you. Okay, in Christianity, yeah, we struggle with some of those sorts of things all the time people setting themselves up over others. But at the beginning, and that's wrong, Paul is addressing some of that here, as does James and others elsewhere, but um, there's no favoritism with God. But uh, here, we need to begin with one of the things that unite us is when we became Christians, it was all by one in the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not that one person was more holy and righteous, and so they earned their eternal life, while the rest of us just had to come begging to God on our knees like the filthy animals we are. No, all of us received eternal life in the same way, through faith in Jesus Christ. So um, there's no, this levels the playing field between all of us. There's only one way each of us has joined the family of God, and that is through faith in Jesus. So this creates unity because we all became Christians in the exact same way. There's no hierarchy. Sixth, we have one baptism. Of course, this is related to the Holy Spirit up in element two. And this is spirit baptism that helps us. This chiasm reveals that this is spiritual baptism, not water baptism. Okay? And the truth about spirit baptism, baptism of the spirit, 
is that it is uh, something that automatically happens to us at the moment we believe in Jesus for eternal life. Okay, there's, there's four things that happen to us when we first, at the instant of becoming a Christian, four spiritual elements. We are regenerated by the Spirit, indwelled by the Spirit, we are baptized by the Spirit, and we are sealed by the Spirit. If you want to remember what those are, they, 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 they spell the acrostic ribs, R-I-B-S, ribs, regeneration, indwelling, baptism, and sealing. Okay? And all of those happen to every Christian at the moment we believe. And again, again, it goes back to this concept that we all have the same spirit, which leads us into unity. So again, there's no hierarchy here about some people have spirit baptism and some don't. No, uh, there are different levels um, of filling, maybe, that is being controlled by the spirit. But that does not mean that that person doesn't have the Spirit, and I do have the Spirit. That person doesn't mean that some people have been baptized by the Spirit and others don't. Others aren't. No, all believers have been baptized. Uh, they are identified with the Spirit. Uh, and so uh, that's, a, that's something that creates unity and peace in our midst because we have all been baptized. We've all been indwelt. We've all been identified with the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, six, that's the sixth element. Seventh and final then is found in Ephesians 4, 6, one God and Father of all. Paul says, God is above all and through all and in you all. Okay, he's been mentioning the essentials. He's mentioning that we are all one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, who's Jesus Christ, one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is just the third element, for third person of the Trinity here. One God and Father of all. And uh, this unites us because a lot of times you look at what divides people in the world and it's sometimes it's division over religion. My God's better than your God. Okay? My holy book is better than your holy book. And here in the Ephesian church, remember it's, it was formed of Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is telling them, I don't want you to start comparing God's as if the Jewish God is better than the Gentile God or something like that. No, there's one God and Father of all. You all have the same God. You don't worship different gods. You don't follow commands from different gods. You don't have different holy books from different gods. It's the same God, okay? And uh, the fact that he is the Father of all tells us about his love. He created us all. He cares for us all, just as a father cares for his children, the fact that he is above all talks about that he is in control of everything. Okay, God is in complete control. It refers to his transcendence, his omnipotence, his power. The fact that he speaks through all, speaks of his care, and that he's in communication with all of us. Uh, he's still involved in acting. Okay, all of these elements of, of, of God being over us all, the head of all, uh, in, in caring for us all, again, is unifying. Rather than different people having different gods, uh, my God's better than your God. No, we're going to focus. We have one God, one Father of all, who cares for all, loves all, communicates with us all, speaks to us all. Okay, so those are the seven elements of Christian unity, and they are going to help us grow in unity, develop unity, even with Christians who we might have lots of disagreements about. Okay. Uh, and, and so as we, we're going to learn to get along with Christians that we maybe have disagreements about, you know, about their doctrine or their practices, some of their behaviors, some of the things that they, 
they do that we just don't approve of, something like that, but we can still live in peace and unity with them because they have these seven elements in common along with us. Okay? Doesn't mean we have to agree on all of those other things, but on these seven we do because they are true of every Christian. And this will help us walk in unity as the church, which will then help us show the world how to focus on the things they have in common as well, and therefore live in peace with one another as well. Okay? So, how do we walk in unity? Well, the first step we saw in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 is to check our own attitudes, work on our own heart first. Now, the second step of walking in unity is to focus on the things we have in common with other believers. Don't focus on the things that divide us, but to focus on the things we have in common. And again, just to go back to the way this was in the Ephesian church. Remember, Jews and Gentiles, it was a a very diverse church. They struggled with being unified. Um, They had different standards. They had different things that they thought were okay to eat. They had different concepts of what it meant to raise children, different styles of worship, different practices, social patterns, probably even different types of clothing they found acceptable. Um, So Ephesians, here in Ephesians, Paul is telling them to to get along with each other and focus on the things you have in common. Today, if Paul was writing to the church today, he might say, look, you have disagreements about what type of music should be played or sung in church. You have disagreements about what church is and how church works and how church, you know, is to be done. Uh, you have disagreements about about church leadership and church governance and and church politics. Should church even be involved in politics? You even have disagreements about what to wear, what people can drink or not drink, uh, where people can go, how to spend your money. Okay, differences in theology, Calvinism, Arminianism, and all sorts of other different uh, Lutheranism, Catholicism, all different sorts of. Uh, concepts about prayer and 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 worship styles and all these things. And Paul is saying, don't focus on those things. They will divide you. Focus instead on what you have in common. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do here. He says, look, you're not so different. <laughs> you actually have a lot in common. Most of the truths that are true about Christians, we have in common. It's, it's those those fringe elements that uh, cause the disagreements, and we can have discussions about those. We can um, we can even agree to disagree if needed, okay? Uh, but the things we have in common are the only things that really matter, and when we focus on those, then they create unity and uh, will, will unite us rather than divide us. little humorous story. Back in the frontier days, little towns would spring up overnight, Some of them would shrink in size as people moved further west. One of these towns, there was two churches that had been founded. There was a Baptist church and a Christian church, okay? Probably your town has Baptist church and and Christian, you know, First Christian Church and First Baptist Church. And uh, both congregations sort of dwindled in size as people continued to move west. And so the two pastors decided that the best thing to do would be join forces and become one church. I like that idea. Shows church unity. Okay, so they called the remaining members of their church together to decide what the new church should be called. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, right? The Baptists wanted it to be called Central Baptist Church. 
and the Christian the members of the Christian Church wanted it to be called Central Christian Church. <laughs> okay, and as you can imagine, this led to a great argument and disagreement among the members. Lots of hours of bickering and disagreement, and okay. Finally, one old lady stood up in the back. She said, "My daddy was a Baptist. My mama was a Baptist. I grew up a Baptist. There ain't no way I'm going to be called a Christian." <laughs> I don't know if this story is true or not, but you can see it happening, right? We Christians argue over the dumbest things sometimes. The color of the carpet in the church, okay? Uh, and, and a bunch of other things too, okay? Uh, but that's what happens when we focus on the things that divide us rather than the things that unite us. Paul here in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, is focusing on seven things that really matter. And as long as we can agree on these things, then we can agree to disagree on the others. We can get into lively conversations and disagreements about those things if we want to. Uh, and we can maybe even get together and uh, participate in functions and gatherings and activities with other people uh, that we might have major disagreements with, but we're, we, we enjoy hanging out with them because they're part of the family of God too, and they have these seven things in common with us. Okay? So that's what Paul is talking about here and developing unity in the church. And by the way, the principles here apply to other areas, developing unity with your spouse, your kids, your boss, your coworker, your neighbor, right? Showing the world how to live in unity, focuses with your own attitude and then finding the things you have in common. Very elementary, sort of learned these things in kindergarten, but as we grow up, we forgot about them. So um, Paul is showing us in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, that the first step to growing in unity with others is to start with our own heart. And then the next step is to focus on the things we have in common. Focus on the things that, that are the same. If we all we do is focus on our differences, there will never be peace. So Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, let us focus not on what divides us, but on what unites us in Jesus Christ. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will be picking back up next time in Ephesians 4, 7, as we continue to learn how to walk as followers of Jesus Christ. We'll see you then.